Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. It's truly wonderful when families can adventure together. And some of the greatest adventures that you can go on are in books. In her book, Narita Goes to Space, author Ashling Wigmore enables this for families. And I'm talking with Ashling right now. Ashling, thank you for joining me tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Well, tell me about this book. Sure. Um, my daughter, whose middle name is Norita, absolutely loves to adventure and explore the world around her and the worlds that God has created for us all to share. And, and her favorite is always looking at the heavens and just wondering about what is there and wanting to go further always. Um, so when she was little and I had nothing to do one day, I decided I would write her a story. And this is what came out of it, and I had no intention of it going anywhere, but God had other plans. Wow, so how did it get to that point where it came to publishing? Again, God stepped in, and uh, I was sitting, I had actually had been in a car accident, so I was confined to a chair for a while, and I was sitting there with my kids. I had read them the story that I had just written, and they loved it, and on the TV came a commercial for Christian Faith Publishing. At the time, I had never heard of Christian Faith Publishing. I had never thought about writing or releasing a book, and, and I just felt that God was calling me to submit it, and I did, and I got a phone call straight away. So this is your first time being published, your first time writing. Correct, yes. What did you find challenging about the process? Was there something surprisingly challenging about it all? Um, it was very difficult to hand over your vision, because all I can draw is a stick man, and I don't <laughs> draw him too well. Uh, <laughs> so to be able to say, this is what my vision is, can you make that a reality when you are not yourself gifted in the ability to draw? That was the most challenging for me, but Christian Faith made it so easy because they really considered um, what was important to me, which we discussed at length, and I submitted pictures of my children, so the likeness in the book is there, oh, wow. and it carries through for my children. So they really made it very easy, but that for me was definitely the, the sticking point going, oh, goodness, how do we do this? <laughs> oh, and it sounds, that's funny because it sounds like the illustration is actually a big part of the adventure of this book. They're going to have fun exploring the illustrations. Yes, it is for sure. And you'll see through every page of the book, there's a little Martian friend that's hidden on every single page and you have to find the Martian. And on the rocket, it has S10 because my daughter's favorite rocket launch was from SpaceX, the Falcon Heavy, because she truly does love watching anything to do with space. And she made me Rewatch and rewatch the live stream of the Falcon Heavy launch. <laughs> um, so we decided to incorporate SpaceX with S10 um, as a little salute on the rocket. And then you'll see she's got a water bottle in the book that's actually her water bottle. And the little boy in the book, her brother, is actually her little brother. So oh. um, it was very personal to be able to share that, but it was so amazing to see it come to life. 
Wow, that is really great that it's a personal thing. It's brought your family together and you're connecting on that level. And also you're putting it out there for other families to be able to enjoy and bring them together, which is really important right now. Oh, yes, it is, especially in the current climate that, you know, God is really challenging us to connect to one another on a more personal level and put the phones down and, and get rid of all the extra things that were taking up our time meaninglessly. And it has been wonderful to see the children uh, interact with other children from a safe distance um, in a way that they hadn't before because they were stuck in tablets or stuck in daycare. And now they're getting out and exploring more of the world. Wow. Well, now that you've been through this writing process and and figuring out the illustrations and getting it published, and now it's out there. There are other authors coming up and they're listening right now who are wondering, how do I go about doing this? What advice would you give to up-and-coming authors? Um, my, my best advice is just do it. Follow your heart. Uh, God has a plan for you. God has a path. It's just trust Him and jump in with both feet because it is such a wonderful experience. And Christian faith make it so easy and they make you feel safe because it is very vulnerable thing to say, hey, this is my family and this is the adventures that we go on <laughs> when we're on our own, you know. And to be able to share that with a company that respects it and puts it out like Christian Faith Publishing have is amazing. So I say, go for it. Do it. You live once. Enjoy it. I am working on her next adventure. Uh, you're going to see a lot more of Mac. Uh, that's her little brother in the book. You'll see that written on the end of the bed. Uh, he's going to be featured more in the next adventure. Um, I'm originally from Ireland, born and raised. So, of course, you will be seeing some of Ireland and some of its magical treasures, too, in, in more of the books to come. Ashling, this sounds like a really exciting book. It sounds like a great way for families to connect. The title is Norita Goes to Space. It's available via Christian Faith Publishing on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Again, Ashling, thank you so much for spending time with us today and telling us more about this really exciting book. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate your time. The national and world political climate is something we're all thinking about nowadays, and it's what's covered in the macro event, America's Survival, by author Andrew R. Adams. This is available through Fulton Books at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. I'm talking with Andrew right now. Andrew, thank you for joining us at the roundtable tonight. Thank you. It's an unusual time to be talking about a, a survival-type book, but yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, certainly is. You know, one can't help but think that uh, there are some parallels to the real world in your book. What is the macro event about? The macro event is a story about an attack on the United States by a joint attack by North, North Korea and Iran. And also prior to the attack, the terrorists have been planted into the country so that once the uh, missile attack occurs, the terrorists can do further damage in small groups that grow into larger groups and go around and create more havoc. The attack starts off with a truck nuclear weapon used in Washington, D.C., and the most destruction is done by an uh, electromagnetic pulse weapon, which is goes off over the border between California and Oregon. The story is basically a story of survival and good versus evil. I really wanted to concentrate on in any kind of a terrible situation. You're going to see good people come out and you're going to see bad people come out. And we see that right now with our COVID pandemic. And of course, in the macro event, the situation is far worse. 
the bad people come out and so do the good. So the main character in the book is a doomsday survivalist, and all of his years of being a survivalist really come into play as he tries to navigate his way back out of Las Vegas, back into Los Angeles area after the uh, AMP goes off. Now, with so much politics and military, do you draw from any personal experience in those arenas? Well, I, I am a, I guess what you would call a survivalist uh, prepper. I've, I've been doing that for many years. Uh, I've spent a lot of time researching it and a lot of time having make, you know, prepare myself and making sure my family and friends are prepared. I, uh, that's one of the main things in the book is that the main character does have a great uh, survival bag or emergency bag in his car in Vegas. In the back of the book, there's an addendum that even has the contents of the main character's survival bag. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I, I used a lot of experience of, of doing this for maybe 10 or 15 years. And I also spent a lot of time researching the EMP weapon to try to make the book as realistic as I could possibly make it. I wanted it to be very realistic. Uh, what kind of people do you think would be interested in reading this book? Uh, anybody that uh, likes survivalist prepper books, obviously, anybody that wants to learn a little bit more about being prepared, surprisingly, even people that wouldn't necessarily think would have liked this genre of book really did like it. I think I believe it's a really good story. And it's also a book one of what uh, I'm planning to be a trilogy. Book two's in the works right now. Book three's all concepted out. Great. Have you published before or is this your first book? Yes, this is my first book. The macro event will be a trilogy, and I do have other books in mind, both in fiction and nonfiction. Great. And are you a reader of this genre? You're a survivalist. You're into it. Do you read fiction like this? Oh, yeah. I've read a lot of this type of book, and I think that reading this type of book, the survivalist book, really does help people understand how unprepared most people really are. And this pandemic we're currently in really showed how unprepared a lot of people were. So just reading this type of book will usually cause people to think think of their own situation and say, you know what, maybe I do need to stockpile some long shelf life food and stockpile toilet paper, you know, and paper towels and things like that. That's, I believe, what got me into it was probably starting to read the survivalist type books around 10 to 15 years ago and really enjoying it and understanding the importance of being prepared. I think it's an excellent tool. And like I said, I tried to put realistic information in there, realistic methods of surviving uh, and being prepared. And I tried to concentrate on stuff that anybody could do. I mean, there's, I didn't want to write a book about how to survival, survive on a desert island you know, with nothing. I wanted to write a book of how to be prepared with things that the average everyday person can do. Well, that sounds perfect for a common Joe like myself because I have no military skills. <laughs> and uh, so that sounds like music to my ears where I can actually be prepared. There are things I can do right around here that will help prepare me for the worst. Oh, absolutely. Because one of the things most people don't realize is Hollywood is partially to blame for this misconception that in the event of a catastrophical situation that, oh, don't worry, an entire platoon of Marines will show up at my house any time now bringing me food and water and everything I need and protect me. And if something really bad happens, every single person in this country is going to be relying upon themselves. There's not going to be a lot of government people coming to save the day. You, you need to be prepared. 
MACRO in the book is an acronym, military acronym for Mass Casualty Relocation Operation. And I've created the term, obviously, fiction. And it's a pre-planned set of orders and instructions that the military has worked on for years or the government's worked on for years to put into place in the event of a catastrophical situation. And they they can rate the macro from 1 to 10, depending on how much of the country is affected. And in the book, the macro rating is a macro 7. You know, that stuck out to me in the description, and I just thought it was a, a real thing. <laughs> so well, was... I've had a lot of readers so far that have told me that if the government doesn't have a macro event plan type of thing already, that they might consider reading the book and, and using it as a starting point. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of great things in this book, and I'm really excited to check it out. Uh, the book is called The Macro Event, America's Survival by Andrew R. Adams, available through Fulton Books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight, and hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Thank you, everybody, and everybody try to stay safe and be prepared. Talking with me right now on the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Angel Brown. Angel's book, Corinthian Law, is available right now through Fulton Books and is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Angel, thank you for taking the time to talk with us tonight. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tell us about Corinthian Law and what it's all about. It's a story about life in World War II-era Kentucky, uh, specifically two young people from distinctively different socioeconomic backgrounds. They meet as children, fall in love, only to be separated by the war as well as some sinister forces at home. It touches on family relationships, prejudices of the time, and the timeless issues that uh, youth face as they mature. Now, is this a book that's geared more towards the young adults, or uh, what kind of audience do you think would like this? You know, I've given a lot of thought to that, and I've had a number of people read the book and give me their opinions, and it actually seems to appeal to both young and old. Um, anyone interested in romance and suspense uh, set against a backdrop of historical events such as uh, World War II. Now, the Corinthian Law... I think that references, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You're absolutely right. Love is a thread that winds through the book from start to finish, and the religious backgrounds of the principal characters come into play. Both are touched when they're listening to a sermon one day in church when the preacher is talking about love, and uh, specifically the phrase, love never fails. That's a point that's, that's rather tested in this story. Now, what inspired you? to go ahead and write this book? Uh, I think it was uh, the need to hold on to some of the personalities of uh, some of my family members who are now gone. Uh, they're really the ones who inspired it, um, even though it is fiction. I wanted to share some of their idiosyncrasies uh, with the world, and uh, it was just a way to kind of hold on to the essence of those personalities, I think. So what was the writing process like? Have you done this before? Have you been published before? I haven't published a book. Uh, I was published in college uh, for some essays, uh, but this is my very first book, and I started writing it when I was going to college and would just 
kill time between classes, making some notes, doing some people watching, and uh, kind of creating uh, some stories in my head. At one point, I decided that I had enough to maybe uh, make a book out of those notes. So I devoted a year to writing uh, every night, four nights a week, and at the end of the year, uh, I sent it off to an editor. And that's how we got here. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope so, right? Yeah. So are you a reader? I am a reader. Um, less now than I once was because I spend more time uh, wanting to create my own uh, writing. But yes, a lady named Beverly C. Warren, she wrote a lot of uh, historical romance. She really, really tempted me into this uh, occupation. So what advice would you give now going through the writing, editing, publishing process. Is there any advice, any tips that you could offer to aspiring writers who are looking to be published? Well, the only thing I can think of is uh, to say, do not give up on your dream. Uh, tell the story you want to tell, and don't let anyone discourage you or attempt to diminish your enthusiasm for something that you create. It's yours. Stand by your dream. Hmm, good advice. Good advice. Now, are you working on anything else? Is there a follow-up to this or maybe another project that is in the works? Actually, yes. I have a sequel that I've started. I need to complete some unfinished business, loose ends that were present at the conclusion of Corinthian Law. I purposely left it open-ended because I felt like it would be interesting to have a sequel. And, Corey, I'm even thinking of a prequel. Oh, wonderful. I'd like to see this span uh, three generations. Sounds fantastic. It sounds really interesting. I'm Looking forward to checking it out, and I urge everyone listening to go and check this out. Uh, sounds very inspiring and uh, really deep, really deep. So thank you for putting this out there for us to enjoy, Angel. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much. My pleasure. The name of the book is Corinthian Law, again from Fulton Books, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Angel, thanks again for your time today. You're so welcome, Corey. Thank you so much. The choices we make in life often affect a lot more than we realize. Right now, I'm sitting down with author Anna Huey. Her book, A Choice, The Truth Will Set You Free, book one, explores that. Anna, thank you so much for joining me today and talking with me about your book. Can you tell us what it's about? Certainly. The book is centered around Christopher Ross receiving strange letters warning him to stay safe while he boards his ship that his family owns with his brothers. But there's a man who has always despised the boys, and he's ordered to kill them. So we learn what happens when Joe has a change of heart, and we learn the fate of each character if they live or die. Everyone has a choice to make, be it right or wrong. Wow. So what got you thinking to write this book? What inspired you? Well, really, I've, just, I've always been interested in mystery novels and cruise ships, and it just, you know, it just snowballed from there for me. Have you been on cruise ships before? Amazingly, no. <laughs> I've always wanted to, though. <laughs> oh, don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> what sort of research went into this? What sort of things were you reading to get inspired? I've just done a lot of Google research. I mean, I read different cruise ship manuals, you know, their way of doing drills and their way of, you know, sea life and just basically everything that went on day to day on a cruise ship. Now, choice is a big theme. What were you exploring as far as the choices that we make in life? That, you know, we all have a choice in life, you know, whether it be right or wrong. You know, the truth will always set you free. So is this your first book, or have you been published before? 
This is my very first published work, yes, even though I have other series ready once I'm finished with the toys. I imagine this was a big learning process for you, and so were there any things along the way that you learned that you could maybe offer to aspiring writers? Uh, yes, never give up. Just keep trying. It may take a while, but you will have a good ending. So what sort of people do you think would be interested in reading a choice? Um, really, it's most, I mean, anybody can read it. I mean, if you love mystery novels, it's for you, but it's definitely centered around the young adult age group. So this is book one, and you said you have more in the works. Can you tell us a little bit more about where this is headed or give us a glimpse into that a little bit? Yes, let's just say it, it definitely begins with a bang and ends with another bang. I love it. I love but, um, it. it. It continues their journey on the cruise ship. So what kinds of books do you read yourself? Any sort of fiction books that uh, you've been reading that you're a fan of that got you into thinking, hey, I'd love to write a book like that? I really read all genres. Anything that catches my attention with a good title and summary, I'm all for it. So what was the writing process like? You've said you've written before, but to write a novel, to go through the editing process and all the stages, clear up to publishing, what was that process like for you? Was it an easy process or did you find it challenging? It was easy at times and challenging at others, you know, trying to get used to, you know, certain words, you know, they would call, you know, certain things they would say, you know, italics. It was a little confusing at times learning their way. I'm certainly looking forward to checking this out and, of course, what you have to come. The book, again, is called A Choice, The Truth Will Set You Free, book one. This is through Fulton Books and is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Anna, thank you so much again for sitting down and talking with us tonight. Thank you for having me. Joining me now on the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Barbara Amato Dorn. Her book is Till Death Do Us Part, Life with the Love of My Life, A Marriage That Was Made in Heaven with My Late Husband. Barbara, thanks for sitting down with us tonight. You're very welcome. So tell me about your book. It's a book that came out of um, basically grief, and that was how I handled grief. And I spent about two years writing this book and putting together with, uh, from the time I met my husband till the time he, I found him dead. Wow. So this is a very personal book for you. Oh, yes. It was, it was, it's quite a life. It's, it's quite a story, and it's, it's well worth reading. Very interesting life. What would you say the main themes are that you're exploring here? Uh, basically, I'm just trying to show everyone how I really found God, because although we did go to the Catholic Church for years, at the point in time when I lost him, I still hadn't got there yet. And this took me to there, which I do explain in the book. And it's a great thing. Uh, what kinds of readers do you think would gravitate towards this? Who are you targeting with, uh, with your book? I think anyone that actually wants to know what to do with grief and what actually they can do as far as helping them find God, which I think is an in, quite an individual thing. But um, there are things that lead us to that. And, and this, unfortunately, had to be the one that took me there. Well, it sounds like this might have been a bittersweet process for you writing the book. And uh, how was it? Was this something that helped you deal with your grief? Was this, uh, was this painful and difficult for you at all? It helped me deal with the grief. I mean, um, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, I would uh, be typing out my book 
but it's good. It's all good. Now, have you written before? Have you been published before? No, I have not. This is the first. Wow. So what was that like? Uh, what did you learn going through all this? Quite interesting. I, it's totally different uh, trip than I would have thought, but uh, <laughs> uh, interesting. I, and I enjoyed it, and I've, I had fun with it. And, you know, if, if nothing goes any further from here, I've, I've gained a lot. Wow. How's it feel, then, to see a book out there that you produced? You, you put so much of your soul out there for the world to see in this book. How does that feel? Actually, that is so hard to put into words because it, it's it's just unbelievable. It's just it's a beautiful thing. It really is, and uh, I think the world will enjoy it. Now, if uh, an aspiring author came up to you and said, "Hey, is there one big piece of advice you can give me? I want to write a book and I want to get it published." What would you tell them? Write from your soul. Write from write from your gut. Don't write from phoniness, write from your gut, write from reality and truth. And um, it, it shows, it shows in a book. I I think it shows big time in a book, whether an author is sincere or in a, if an author is just, you know, trying to make something up. This is, this is totally reality. Yeah, those indeed are some of the, the best reads, and this sounds like it's going to be one of them. Do you have any more in the works? Is there a project you're working on? Are you thinking of a maybe a kind of follow-up to this? I, I do. Um, I don't have a name for it yet. I, I basically, as my book states, I have moved on with my life um, as far as I can, and I have remarried. And uh, it's really the trip from that point on uh, up until now. So it's it's going to be interesting as well. But I'm, I'm moving kind of slow because it's got to, again, it's got to come from your heart and it's got to come from your soul. And until it's out there, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, you can't rush those kind of things. you got to let them come naturally. No, you can't. That's where phoniness comes in, in my idea. And I, I just, I think you got to be real. The book, again, is called Till Death Do Us Part, Life with the Love of My Life, A Marriage That Was Made in Heaven with My Late Husband by Barbara Amato Dorn. Barbara, it was a pleasure talking with you today, and thank you so much for your time and letting our listeners know about your book. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate your time. Thank you, everyone. The next book I'll be talking about immediately grabbed my interest because of the title, The Corpse Everyone Loved by Hannah S. Hess. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You got to tell me about The Corpse Everyone Loved. I got to know what this is about. Well, it's about a high school principal who has a so-called teacher in her school who is generally disliked by everyone, so the title is ironic. And when said teacher is killed in one of the classrooms in the school, the principal who has had many differences with said teacher is, of course, one of the suspects. But there are others because... He has been doing all sorts of charming things like blackmailing a group of students who have been using one of the labs to make meth and other people in the school who have other things that he has blackmailed them about. So there is no scarcity of subjects 
as I say, the principal, having had many differences with said teacher, including one day when he was walking outside of her office with a sign saying, beware the Ides of March. That was not ever quite explained to her. Anyway, so she is definitely a suspect, but she is not the only one. And that is essentially what the book is about. I love it. Sounds like a lot of twists and turns and some unexpected things going on. I, I have to say I had fun writing it. It sounds like you did. What was that process like? I am, in some ways, I am very lucky in that I write easily. Once I started and I had the characters in there, they kind of took over and said what they were going to say, and I was merely the transcriber. But I knew I knew where it was going and how it would end because I was, after all, the plotmeister. Indeed. Where did you get this idea? Is it just something that came to you, or what sort of inspired you to craft this story? Okay, I, I was a high school principal in my time, and I did have a teacher who, in some ways, was the model for this charming guy, although not to that extent. That was the basis for it, and I just thought it might be fun to write it down. And then after I finished this one, I wrote a second one with the same principal as the protagonist, but this one is called The Corpse in the Co-op. And it's about a cooperative building where a rather unpopular tenant is found. And again, the principal is involved in investigating and so on. So having gone through the writing and editing and publishing process now multiple times, do you have any words of wisdom that you would give to authors who want to get published, want to put a book out there? Well, yes. And that is that it's much easier to write them than to get them published, because I have this vision, I'm not sure it's correct, but especially since the advent of computers, that in every apartment building in the city of New York and elsewhere, there is somebody or several somebodies working away at computers, cranking out novels, and there are not that many publishers. So they should persist and not get discouraged if they get rejection slips. That's the only advice I can give them. If you got to write it, write it. The description you gave of the book definitely confirms the interest I had in it with the title. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a real gripping story. The title, again, is The Corpse Everyone Loved by Hannah S. Hess, available through Fulton Books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Hannah, this was great talking to you today, and thank you for your time. Well, thank you. Good talking to you, too. Well, the bliss of growing up in childhood is something that uh, I think we all experience at one point or another. Right now, I have author KT Rome with me. She wrote a book, My Golfer and Me, Christian Faith Publishing. KT, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. This will be fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So tell me about My Golfer and Me. What's this book about? It's a Christian fiction love story for all ages. That's what's pretty unique about it. My target readers are high school girls because it touches a little on abstinence. And it's uh, for all ages. It's a love story. And it's my second book. Uh, my third and fourth are in the works, too. <laughs> Fantastic. So the title, My Golfer and Me, how does that play in? Well, it's a story about a high school golfer and cheerleader. Tell me, what are the main themes that you're exploring with this? What's the message that you'd like to get across to your readers? 
Oh, it's just about blissful, innocent love. I read about a thousand uh, uh, Christian fiction love stories and thought I could do this and just write a real simple one that everybody could enjoy. And I see here that she learns about God's forever love. Was that a main theme that you wanted to explore? Yeah, the first half of the book is more about uh, young people learning about love, and the second half is more about the, the high school romance. And I, I think that good love stories are a really healthy thing for everybody. So what inspired you, I guess, from a personal standpoint, to write a, a Christian love story? Was there any sort of autobiography going into this? Any of your personal experiences that worked into the story? Oh, yeah. I think all authors put a little bit of themselves in everything they write, because that's the perspective going in there. Absolutely. So this is your second book. You're working on a couple more. What advice would you offer to authors going out there being published? You've already been through it once, you're going through it again, and you're looking forward to more. So what tips would you bring up to other authors that you've learned along the way? Well, I used to be a teacher and principal, and and I had children or kids write stories. And I think we all have stories inside of us, and I think it's fun to share them. And uh, my my inspiration was probably Karen Kingsbury and Lori Wick, some of my favorite writers, and uh, I think it's it's a good thing to do that that lots of people could enjoy doing. Hmm, absolutely. Were there were there specific books that you read and were specifically inspired by in the Christian fiction genre? Yes, uh, probably too many to mention. You know. <laughs> So tell us about the other books you have in progress. Now, was your first book related to this at all, or was this more of a standalone? My first book was a love story, too. It was called Three for Him. It really is good for single moms to read. It's about hope also. I think that um, it's really fun to put in uh, good things, fill up minds with good things and and faith, and uh, both books do that. Fantastic. And uh, the two you have coming up now, can you give us a little peek into what those are about? Well, I'm going to be writing some children's books and a couple of nonfiction books, so that should be fun, too. Oh, wonderful. The title of the book is My Golfer and Me from Christian Faith Publishing. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. KT Rome, thank you so much. We're looking forward to this book, looking forward to what you have coming out in the future. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today on the Roundtable. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The sanctity of life is a hot topic nowadays, and the book I'm going to talk about next touches on that. It's called The Cry of the Unborn Babies by author Noah Weldmichael. And this is from Christian Faith Publishing. I'm talking with Noah right now. Noah, welcome to the show. Thank you for talking today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it for this opportunity. Yeah, The Cry of the Unborn Babies is kind of a fiction, but it has a very meaningful uh, message to everybody. The most amazing part of the book is it's the babies themselves who talk about their lives and their future being in their mother's womb. That is what makes the book very exceptional. So what those babies are saying that is they want to live, they want to see uh, the brightness of the day, they want to see the face of their mothers, and they want to enjoy life. It uh, speaks about life, its values, and uh, it's very interesting. They ask questions also, why uh, such thing is happening to them, why people are against them, 
uh, instead of loving them, they decided to finish their lives instead of having them. One of uh, the most interesting part is that once they come to this world, they're not going to bring sorrow or sadness or bad things, but they will bring to their fellow human beings joy, happiness, uh, purpose in life, meaning, and great things that words cannot uh, express or explain. So the idea developed when I was in South Africa, and uh, in every tree, tree or pole, you see these abortion services, and that was what uh, came to my mind, and I asked myself what's going on in this country then okay, uh, this thing is happening, so what are the babies thinking? What are the babies saying? Of course, nobody says at the time of death, yes, I wanna have, I'm want to happy, I want to die, just kill me. Everybody wants to live and everybody, I mean, begs for their lives. These unborn babies are begging for their lives. They want to live and they want to enjoy life as anybody else. This is the message that I want to uh, give to everybody and the focus for everyone. We can agree on one thing, that life is very uh, precious and we have to value it. So that's why I came with this book. I'm really excited to learn more about this. I love the positive message. And I think it's a really unique perspective on this, especially this topic that can be very touchy. I love that perspective. How, how did you come about saying, hey, I want this to be coming from the first person, from the baby, from the one this is affecting most? Yeah, as I told you, that's when the idea came. When I wrote, uh, when I re whenever I go through the streets of Pretoria in South Africa, I was in South Africa for a couple of years, and I see all these abortion promotions on every street and every corner. Then I asked myself, being on the shoes of the unborn babies, then how would they feel? What are they saying? Do they want to die or they want to leave? Then it became a book and I started writing it. Uh, it's a very emotional book at times. It really speaks volumes to anybody. Well, I'm looking forward to checking this out and learning more about it. What can you give as words to wisdom to new authors? Of course, as a new author, it will take time. Uh, the first thing that you have to do is you have to get a good editors so that it will be very easy for you uh, or it will uh, shorten the days of the publication. Once you got a good editors, then uh, you find a publisher, then you uh, agree about the price and everything, then you go for publishing. Uh, and the other thing is uh, to get a good review, and uh, marketing is also a very challengeful, I mean, a very big challenge for new authors. So uh, one of the main thing is to be patient. If it happens, it's good that your first book may become popular, but it takes time. Good advice. Good advice. Well, again... Noah Weldemichael, this is The Cry of the Unborn Babies from Christian Faith Publishing. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Certainly an important message, and we thank you for bringing that out to the world. So again, thanks for talking with me today, and we'll be talking again soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and God bless you. Thanks. Throughout history, man has used science to attempt to explain the world around him. And in his book, The Singularity, author Peter Dempsey goes into this, explains science and its role in society today. And I'm talking with Peter right now. Peter, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Well, this book sounds really interesting. Uh, can you tell us all about what The Singularity is about? Uh, yes, the book explores the deep connections between science culture and religion in the context of our civilization. 
as compared with other civilizations, uh, it looks as at the devastating impact that totalitarian ideologies have had on many countries in the 20th century and the philosophical and historical roots of those ideologies. It describes the consequence on our future of the belief that a system of ideas can build a perfect society that represents the end of history. It looks at the relationship between ideologies and science as a secular faith, which, when it becomes disconnected from the inherent limitations of human knowledge, it examines the possibility that science and religion are in fact convergent instead of opposites. Uh, who did you write this for? Who's your target audience? Well, my target readers are people of all political affiliations who are interested in a fresh perspective on our civilization and its future. The title seems a bit pessimistic. Um, the singularity evokes a black hole, so it's as if we were absorbed by a black hole into nothingness. However, one thing that is important to bear in mind is that future is not cast in stone. The book explores a possible future, probably the worst-case scenario, that we can change through our actions. It's important to bear that in mind. Indeed. So is this your first published work, or have you written before? I have published a few articles focused on similar subjects, but this is my first book. And what was your inspiration behind this? I guess, how did you come about the idea, and why did you decide to put this book out there for everybody? I wanted to share my experience and thoughts with other people, and maybe raise a flag as a warning so that people can understand and correctly evaluate the future of a civilization. Was the writing process a challenge for you? I wouldn't say that. Um, the challenge here is to find a common thread and compile these comments into a coherent construct that leads to more general conclusion. And now taking this journey for the first time, writing a book, is there anything you learned along the way that maybe you can pass on to others looking to get published? My advice to, to other writers would be to be patient and wait for your thoughts to crystallize. Do not rush into things until you get an in-depth view of things, of things. And always, and that's very important, follow a moral guidance and evaluate the impact on your readers. This is more important when you write a political essay than uh, when you write just fiction. You have to think about the moral consequences of your writing. Now, do you have anything in the works now? Are you going to follow this one up, or are there any other projects that you're working on? I am now working on a short novel. It is basically a dystopian novel about a character on the threshold of old age in the context of possible mutations or changes in our society in the near future. Well, sounds really interesting, and the singularity sounds like it's absolutely fascinating. I encourage everyone to go check it out. It's called The Singularity by Peter Dempsey through Fulton Books, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Peter, thank you again for speaking with me today, and hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Thank you.
In this busy day and age, especially right now with so much going on around us, often we don't take the time to slow down and think about things. And that's the subject of this next book. I'm here with author Tim Dingus. His book is called Things to Think About for One Minute. Now, this is from Fulton Books. Tim, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, this is fun. Tell us all about Things to Think About for One Minute. Uh, well, it all sort of came about because I am taking a second time around in radio, believe it or not. I was on the radio 30 years ago, and now I'm back on Sky 7 in Phoenix, Arizona. And I do think about segments on the radio. There's 60 seconds or less. And um, I try to try to sort of randomly get those topics and uh, persuade people to just sort of stop a minute, maybe appreciate something, maybe relive a memory. And um, then all of a sudden, you know, the people around me said, uh, you know, you might want to put that in a written form. And that's how it happened. So what kinds of people do you think are going to gravitate towards this? Oh, this book is basically for anyone and everyone. I mean, I had a mother, as soon as she read maybe 10 pages in, she bought three copies for her triplets who are, at the time, teenagers. Um, because it is, it is written for not only anybody that picks it up, but there's also different stages in your life that it may hit you different uh, depending on when you read it. And that's why it's got some journaling options to sort of jot down your own ideas and what your response is. Mm, I love that. I've said to so many people over the years, the best gift that you can give a person is a good book. And so I'd love to hear that, that this is very giftable, that a lot of people will be able to find a lot of value in this. Yeah, there. it's intended... To, if you've got something that you read on a particular page and you want to share that with somebody, you know, you could copy it, rip it out, put it on Facebook. You could do whatever you want to to be able to get that share out there. But then obviously when you get in and you read more of it, you go, I think as an entire collection, I would like to share this with so-and-so. So a lot of them are purchased as gifts, which is a high compliment. I love it. Wow. So is this your first endeavor into the writing arena or have you published before? This is my first, exactly. I have written quite a few things, but as far as actually publishing, this is the first, and it, it was exciting. Oh, I'm sure it was a learning process as well. Is there anything out there that you can offer to aspiring writers, somebody who's looking into starting the publishing process? Anything that you can give them, words of wisdom? Yes, it is one. Um, when I was in Chicago going to WLS one time, Paul Harvey uh, jumped in our elevator, and and we had our 60-second conversation going up to the floor, and he says, whatever they tell you up there, do not give up. And that's when I was starting in the radio industry. So that's what I would encourage to authors, you know, keep hacking at it and don't give up. But once you get to the point where you're ready to pull that trigger, make sure that you're really, really organized. You've got everything ready to roll for the publisher. It makes life so much easier for everybody. Is there currently anything else that you're working on, maybe a follow-up? Yes. Um, my latest book is out right now. It's called The Comings and Goings of T-Shirts. And it's uh, what everyone wishes someone would print on a T-shirt because people like to say certain things, but they wouldn't dare speak it. Uh, yeah. And uh, also some, sometimes on the, uh, when, you go through the, uh, when you go through the book, you'll see that the front stands alone and then the back stands alone. But when you read the two together, uh, then it's a, a funny acronym or a funny joke or a funny comment of some sort. And I basically started that method by starting a, a medium-sized box 
And um, whenever I get an idea, I write it on a sheet of paper and I throw it in the box. So I could be writing in the grocery store or driving down the road or around a campfire or anywhere. And when the book is full or when the box is full, then I start writing the formal draft for the book. And that's just sort of the way I've done it so far. Now, was this a long process for you to write this? How long did this take you to sort of compile and then edit down and publish? Was this a collection of things from years and years, or did this all sort of come out pretty quickly? It all came out pretty quickly, again, because they were segments uh, for Sky 7 Radio, and I was under sort of a timeline uh, because of us kicking off the show. So six months is probably what it took to be able to put all the pieces together that's in the book. There's 265 uh, thinkabouts. I have now over 800 because obviously I keep writing for the show. Um, And basically everything was an inspiration. I mean, anything I saw, people I heard talking, uh, when I saw an old car or heard something on the radio with a song, um, that was part of the inspiration for a thinkabout. Well, this certainly sounds like something that I think a lot of readers will gravitate towards because it is so digestible and you're thinking about little things that maybe people haven't sat down and and thought about for a while. So the book is Things to Think About for One Minute by Tim Dingus. This is on Fulton Books, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Tim, thanks so much for sitting down with us tonight. Oh, Corey, thanks a lot. This has been fun. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.